Section 1 of War Flying by a Pilot. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynette Calkins, Monument, Colorado. War Flying by a Pilot by Lessel Finer Hutchin. The Development of an Idea. Preface, Opening Poem, and Introductory Section. Preface. This little volume of Theta's letters to his home people is offered in the hope that it may prove useful and not for glory or reward. The Royal Flying Corps in wartime works in secret. Many of our gallant lads would gladly become pilots if they knew how to set to work and approximately what they would have to face. When Theta decided to try to enter the service, he had nothing to go on save a determination to get there and a general idea of the difficulty of achieving his purpose. His careless and unstudied notes, written at odd moments in the work of training and of war, do show how a public schoolboy may become a flying officer and how he may fare thereafter. Names, dates, and places about which the censor might have concern have been concealed, and extraneous matters have been omitted. The letters are a cheery and light-hearted record, and may stimulate others. From first to last, they have not contained a grumble. It should be understood, however, that the experiences of the writer must not be taken as typical of those of all pilots at the front. The RFC has different squadrons for different duties, and different types of machines suited to the nature of those duties. In the faster type of machine, it is possible to do better and more dangerous work, and even in one's own squadron, the duties of a colleague may have been more onerous and more trying than those described. In a fighting squadron, the pilot may have almost daily combats in the air. In another, he may have very long and very trying reconnaissance work. Compared with that of some squadrons, writes Theta, our work is pleasant. November 26, 1916 ordered overseas, after Kipling. Does he know the road to Flanders? Does he know the criss-cross tracks with the row of sturdy hangers at the end? Does he know that shady corner where, the job done, we relax to the music of the engines round the bend? It is here that he is coming with his gun and battle plane to the little aerodrome at, well, you know, to a wooden hut abutting on a quiet country lane, for he's ordered overseas, and he must go. Has he seen those leagues of trenches, the traverses deep and stark, high over which the British pilots ride? Does he know the fear of flying miles to eastward of his mark, when his only map has vanished overside? It is there that he is going, and it takes a deal of doing. There are many things he really ought to know, and there isn't time to swat him if a fokker he's pursuing, for he's ordered overseas and he must go. Does he know that ruined town, that old blank of renown? Has he heard the crack of Archie bursting near? Has he known that ghastly moment when your engine lets you down? Has he ever had that feeling known as fear? It's to Flanders he is going with a brand new aeroplane to take the place of one that's dropped below, to fly and fight and photo mid the storms of wind and rain, 
for he's ordered overseas, and he must go. Then the hangar door flies open, and the engine starts its roar, and the pilot gives the signal with his hand. As he rises over England, he looks back upon the shore, for the Lord alone knows where he's going to land. Now the plane begins to gather speed, completing lap on lap, till, after diving down and skimming low, they're off to shattered Flanders by the compass and the map. They were ordered overseas and had to go. Introductory The Development of an Idea 1. The first number of the well-thumbed file of flight, carefully kept by Theta up to the present day, bears date July 30, 1910, just two years after the first public flight in the world. At that time, this particular public schoolboy was 13 years of age. His interest in aviation, however, dated from considerably before that period, and its first manifestation took the form of paper gliders. Beyond the fact that they could be manipulated with marvelous dexterity, and that they could be extremely disturbing to the rest of the class in school, no more need be said. In December 1910, Theta felt that he had a message on airships to convey to the world, and he communicated it through the medium of the school journal. Thenceforward, he wrote regularly on flying topics for the journal and for four years acted as its aeronautical editor. Throughout 1911, with two school friends, he also assisted in producing Aviation, a cyclostyle sheet of small circulation proudly claimed as the first monthly penny aviation journal in the world. Therein, the various types of machines were discussed with all the delightful cocksureness of youth, and various serial stories based on flying adventures duly ran their course. For some years, he pursued the construction of model airplanes with an assiduity that may well have been fatal to schoolwork and games, and that was kept up until the German power-driven model drove the elastically propelled machines into the realms of toydom. A motley crowd of enthusiasts used to gather every Saturday and Sunday in one of the great open spaces of London for the practice of their craft, nearly all boys in their teens, occasionally one or two grown-ups with mechanical interests. When the war came, the group broke up. Some of them took up real aircraft construction. Others became attached to the air service, naval, and military as mechanics. At least two became flying officers. In July 1911, Theta obtained his first pilot's certificate from an aero club which he had assisted in founding. The document is perhaps sufficiently interesting to reproduce. Number 1. XYZ Aero Club Pilot's Certificate I hereby certify that Theta has passed the required tests for the above-named certificate. The tests have been witnessed by the undernamed RHW and J.H.C., who are members of the XYZ Aero Club. The tests are as follows. 1. Flight of 100 yards. 2. Circular flight of any distance provided the machine does not touch the ground and lands within 15 yards of the starting point. 3. Or, alternative, flight of any distance when machine flies not less than 6 feet higher than the starting point. 4. Flight lasting at least eight seconds. The above tests have been approved by the members of the club. Signed, R.H.W. Secretary. Footnote. 
now with the gunners in France. End footnote. And J.H.C. President. Footnote. Interned in Germany since outbreak of war. End footnote. The tests would have been very different a few months later, and really wonderful long-distance flights were afterwards accomplished. In order to be able to write with some authority, Theta kept abreast of all developments in aeronautics, reading with avidity all the literature on the subject and visiting the flying grounds. The first aeroplane he saw in the air was when Pollen gave a demonstration of flying at Sandown Park. Subsequently, numerous pilgrimages to Brooklands and Hendon were made. There followed visits to France in the vacations. In the second visit, Theta and a companion, it was afterwards discovered, cycled round the rough and narrow stone parapet of a fort when a single slip would have meant precipitation into a moat on one side or into the sea on the other. It was a test of nerves. The return from the third visit was memorable. Theta had left his portmanteau on a railway platform in Normandy and his waterproof on the cross-channel steamer. But he arrived at Waterloo serenely content with the wreck of his model airplane wrapped up in an old French newspaper and a bathing towel. His knowledge of French and his customary luck, however, served him, and the missing impedimenta duly followed him up in the course of a day or two. Of his French friends, three brothers, one was killed in the opening months of the war. A second was wounded and taken prisoner by the Germans after an adventure that would have won him the V.C. in this country, and the third, as interpreter, was one of the links between the Allied forces at the Dardanelles and is now engaged on similar work. A few months before war broke out, Theta visited Germany and photographed the Zeppelin Victoria Luis and its hangar at Frankfurt. He was immensely struck by the ease with which the huge airship was manipulated and with its value as a sea scout, but as a fighting instrument, he put his money on the heavier-than-air machines. So grew day by day, month by month, and year by year, without the least slackening, that interest in aviation which came to fruition in wartime. 2. Theta was born in May 1897. The war broke out in August 1914. On his 18th birthday, Theta decided that it was time to get a move on. His ambition from the first had been to enter the Royal Flying Corps. This was opposed chiefly because of his youth and seeming immaturity and the excessive danger attached to training. But fate, impelled by inclination, proved too strong. He had been a member of his OTC for four years and had attended camps at Aldershot and Salisbury Plain, but he deliberately set his face against foot-slogging. He urged that though he was old enough to risk his own life, he was not old enough to risk the lives of others, his seniors, by accepting an infantry commission. After many preliminaries, an appointment was secured at the war office with a high official of military aeronautics. There, Theta was subjected to a curiously interesting catechism which seemed to touch on nearly every possible branch of activity under the sun except aviation. Finally, the high official, probably seeing a way of ridding himself of a candidate who had accomplished little or nothing of the various deeds of daring enumerated in the shorter catechism, suggested an immediate medical examination on the premises. That ordeal safely passed, Theta returned to his catechist, who said wearily, 
Well, we'll try you, but you know you have not many of the qualifications for a flying officer. Theta returned to school to await his summons, which was promised within two months. The school term ended, a motorcycling holiday in Devon followed, and still no call. On the return to London, a reminder was sent to the war office. There immediately came a telegram ordering Theta to report for instruction at what may be called Aerodrome A. Training began almost at once with a joyride of ten minutes' duration, but the weather was for the most part what the aviators in their slang call dud. An abominable mist hung over the aerodrome, and consequently, though the period of instruction was fairly prolonged, the opportunities for flights were few. There was much waiting and little flying, and the bored youth was driven to music and rhyming to fill up the interstices. But before the end of the year, a good deal had been accomplished. At the close of his eleventh lesson, Theta was told to hold himself in readiness for a solo performance. After four more flights came the successful tests for the ticket, which transforms the pupil into a certificated aviator. This preliminary triumph was celebrated the same evening by a joyride at nearly 2,000 feet, the highest altitude that Theta had reached on a solo performance. Nearly four years and a half had elapsed between the schoolboy ticket and the real thing. Then came a transfer to another and more advanced type of machine— on this there were but three flights with an instructor, and then another solo performance. Towards the close of the year, Theta left Aerodrome A for Aerodrome B, having in the meantime been gazetted as a probationary second lieutenant, special reserve. The advanced course occupied about three months. It proved more exciting in many ways. In the elementary portion of training, Theta saw many crashes, none of which, however, proved fatal. In the second, war conditions more nearly prevailed, and at times, when, for example, three colleagues lost their lives in flying, and a Canadian friend who shared his hut in training was reported missing, believed killed, within a few weeks of reaching the front, the stern realities of his new profession were driven home. But youth is ever cheerful and optimistic. In fullness of time, there came a flight of a covey of seven probationaries in one taxicab to an examination center for wings, a successful ending, followed shortly afterwards by final leave, an early morning gathering of newly made flying officers at Charing Cross Station, the leave-taking, and the departure to the front. Training was over. The testing time had come. Before his 19th birthday was reached, Theta had been across the German lines. His letters may now be allowed to carry on. End of section 1